Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with William Pullen, the author of Running with Mindfulness, about how dynamic running therapy can improve low mood, decrease anxiety, decrease stress, and help depression. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. If you move, you'll feel better. If you run, you'll definitely feel better. Now, if you're listening to this, I know this is a little bit of preaching to the choir. You and I both know that when we run, we are going to feel better. But what happens when you get busy or even worse, you get injured and you're not really able to run? Do you get bummed out? Do you get anxious? Do you get depressed? If that has ever happened to you at some point, you were not imagining it. Believe it or not, that's actually extremely common. And today we have a fantastic interview with William Pullen, who literally wrote the book on dynamic running therapy. So let's get to it. Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with William Pullen about dynamic running therapy. Now, William Pullen is a London-based psychotherapist, author, app developer, and he's the founder of this movement called Dynamic Running Therapy. And his focus is to spread the message that movement really is medicine for mind, body, and soul. And he maintains a private practice in London, but he also gives lots of talks on mindfulness and mental health. Now, he's also written a book um, called Running With Mindfulness, Dynamic Therapy to Improve Low Mood, Anxiety, Stress, and Depression. He also developed the Dynamic Running Therapy DRT app. So, William, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Chris. Exciting to be here. All right. So listen, I'm really glad we're able to get you on the show. And I've been trying to get you on the show for a long time. I know you're really busy and I really and truly do appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to do this. So before we really get started here, um, maybe you could just um, give all of our listeners an idea about how you got introduced to running and how you sort of came to develop running as a therapeutic tool. Okay. So about 11, 12 years ago, I'm in a relationship that goes south. I go south with it. Um, I end up in therapy. Well, I end up taking up running and therapy and taking antidepressants to try and get out of this terrible hole that I'm in. And I notice how effective the running is in tandem with the psychotherapy. It, uh, it motivates me. It gives me a reason to socialize, to, to get out of my flat. It makes me feel powerful and 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 uh, and competent at something even if it's only an extra 100 meters a week i trained to become a therapist i decided to put the two together uh during my training i come up with this idea i call it dynamic running therapy i then try to roll it out and then i get a book deal and then i come on to your fantastic show that's where we are <laughs> all right <laughs> Okay, so before we, you know, really dive into this concept of dynamic running therapy or DRT in, in detail, maybe you could just yep. share your definition of mindfulness and how mindfulness or lack thereof is really affecting us in this sort of modern digital age where everything moves so fast. Oh, that's a, that's a big one. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, you know, if I was a sort of... Um, uh, uh, a socialist or Marxist or something, I would, I would say that the, you know, the businesses out there 
um, particularly online businesses, are intentionally tweaking our nervous system, overloading us uh, in order to make us uh, docile and needy and the perfect consumer who's constantly buying new things and making them lots of money. Mindfulness is a sort of antidote to that. It helps bring you back down into the here and now. It settles your nervous system. I don't know. Is that even true? You're the doctor. It settles you. It settles your heart rate. It settles all sorts of things. It, does it settle your nervous system? I don't well, know. It definitely does. I mean, for sure. Yes, I, I mean, also- even... Even in the 80s, biofeedback was a big thing where that's exactly what you would do. You would basically stay focused on the present and you could, you know, basically listen to your brain waves more or less or, or, or sort of representative sound of your brain waves and progressively through deliberate presence in the moment and relaxation could slow down your mental activity. Yeah, there we go. I'm never quite sure of, uh, uh, of exactly what the nervous system is. I know the rest of the stuff. I, I know all about yeah. heart rates and stress levels and um, hormones and whatnot. Anyway, so that, that is uh, in an age where uh, you know, you've got supercomputers working out how to manipulate you into feeling the most anxious that you can. We need this more than ever. And so it's, for me, mindfulness is a very simple practice, which my own practice is 10 minutes a day. I sit there, mine's a guided one. I listen to somebody talking to me about concentrating on my breath. And that's what I do. And I find at the end of it, my breath is really regulated. It's nice and low and smooth. Um, I concentrate on removing all the stress that's carried in my face. You know, you can find yourself sort of, you can notice yourself holding your face in a certain way. And Mm -hmm. you try to let go of that. And then your face will hold itself in another way. You try to let go of that until finally, sort of a few minutes in, you find, wow, I now have a relaxed face. And that often goes hand in hand with a sort of relaxed mind. So that's why I think it's so important. Um, wouldn't you agree? No, I do agree. Absolutely. I, th- I think it's huge. And, and it's true. We have you know, not just really smart people trying to figure out how to manipulate our behavior, but we have, like you say, supercomputers. We have artificial intelligence. There are programs that are trying to figure out how to malip- manipulate our behavior to keep us you know, doing exactly the opposite of what mindfulness exercises really do. So it's fascinating. Yeah, I was going to say, I also think that it perhaps um, counters some of the polarized thinking that you see, the black and white thinking, mm-hmm. which, you know, in psychotherapy, we see as a mark of, of, of trauma or of, of, of a developmental issue or something, you know. Mm-hmm. In theory, you're supposed to get beyond that. Uh, uh, children are prone to black and white thinking. Adults, a healthy adults, supposed to be less so. And yet, we seem to see it as the currency of modern politics, don't we? That's true. Well, particularly in the United States, this is uh, definitely the case. Um, Yeah, so it's true. It is, you know, it's difficult, right? So we have all these problems we're trying to work out and we're trying to work them out in our heads. And sometimes we make that worse because of the, the overactivity. And, you know, one of the things I know is that no matter what problem I might have spinning through my head when I head out for a run, that problem is always less of a problem it seems to be smaller in size after I run. So why do you think running makes us think so clearly, you know, write our perspectives and, and make us feel so good? Is it really endorphins which are responsible for this sort of runner's high and the, the clarity that comes of, with thought after we run? What is it you think that really is responsible for that? Well, it is um, uh, the, uh, it is of course the endorphins that make you high. Um, quite 
where the creativity piece comes from, nobody's quite sure yet, I don't think. Um, Stanford University just had some research coming out on just how effective it is as a creative practice. And now that, you know, a lot of businesses in America are having walking meetings and mm-hmm. running meetings. And uh, they really are fantastic to sort of problem solve and, and work your way through these things. But uh, the research seemed to show that it's not all problems or all kinds of problems that uh, it's good for. In fact, you don't want something that's highly detailed, like trying to get, you don't want something that's highly reductive, like trying to get down to discover the right sort of algebraic equation, uh, E equals MC squared, something like that. It, that would, that's not what it's good for. Uh, that you really do need to sit down with a pen and paper and just work on it yourself. It's better for the sort of thing where you've got this problem, which is trying to work out the nature of energy or whatever. And, you know, five of you go running around and you do that kind of blue sky thinking and throwing ideas out. Um, am I the last person using that term, blue sky thinking? No, that's good. <laughs> Maybe. Right now, I must be right out there. as one of the last ones. I think we yeah. moved on from that. We pink, red green sky thinking anyway yeah it's fantastic for uh uh for creative for creativity mm-hmm. and i've certainly found that i go on a run and in the morning i may wake up and i have something that's troubling me something i don't seem to be able to work out what end of it to start with i don't have any kind of process to go through with it it just feels like some problem and then by the end of the run even though i haven't consciously crunched anything during that run i now seem to be in possession of a uh, of a way forward mm-hmm. uh, and i find that extraordinary i find it miraculous and i've discussed it many times and the best i can come up with myself is that i think that is one of the reasons why and i'll tell you more about what i do later on but why i think dynamic running therapy works so well because i think there's something in the moving that changes us from from a static and if it's for depression a depressed person but a static person holding a problem, whatever it may be, uh, a business problem, any other kind. Once we start running, at the end of that running, I'm no longer um, static. I am a person who, is, who has been doing and who has done. And so I'm a doer and I'm a donner. And that gives me a sense of momentum when, and, and confidence and, and movement when I look at this problem that I did, wasn't in possess of before, possession mm-hmm. of before. Before, I was just this static person looking at a static problem. So I think it's something about the perception. I think it's something about who we become after we've run. I think it speaks to our um, DNA. And at the end of a, of a good run, you're supposed to feel powerful. You're supposed to feel like you, you own the answers because you do. Guess what? You, you just together work with three other people to chase down this kangaroo Mm. and and you're supposed to feel there's supposed to be reward in your system for that and there is and so that's what i think it's about no that's interesting so you know and it's not really just the concentration i mean the um the sort of the sort of self-concentration when you get a resolution of a problem, something like that. And I watched your TED talk and you spoke about how you and a friend were running and how you noticed that there was this interesting ease of conversations during run. And so why do you think it, it is so easy to hold an undistracted conversation during a run? Well, 
this is something that Stanford University also wondering. I think it's something about prefrontal cortex and mopping up um, that kind of extra bit of self-consciousness, that extra. Mm-hmm. I think running the, the piece while you're running along and is working out balance and pace and all those other things that you need to work on, which takes up a lot of, uh, a lot of brain power. It, it mops up just a, enough so that the rest of it can be spent connecting to the person next to you. Then I think there's all sorts of things around not facing each other, about being in something that's physically collaborative. Um, I think all of these things make for a, uh, yeah, a powerful collaboration. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, maybe that has something, you know, some sort of relationship to golf. Like, you know, golf has long been known to, I don't play golf. Um, I've always been told I have to play golf because I'm a doctor. Um, but I don't want to play golf. I don't play golf. But I know that it for a long, long time, it's been a way for people to work together, you know, on the golf course, associate. And maybe it's a similar thing where they are doing this physical activity that in some way distracts, like you said, just enough of the brain power that they can work more collaboratively. So maybe, you know, for those of us who are runners and do not play golf, maybe that is a similar thing that's happening. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think so. And, and, you know, don't forget, as I was mentioning before, it's in our DNA. I mean, it goes back hundreds of thousands of years when we were out on the savannah, you know, before there was even, well, actually around, I suppose, around the advent of fire. That's when we were cooking food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the only way to catch... A, a, a small animal, which typically was faster than you, an antelope or something, it was persistence hunting. Right. They've got great acceleration, but no stamina. So if you could line up three guys on your left and a couple of ladies on your, on your right and, and, and start off across the savannah and keep your eye on this animal, uh, sooner or later, it would just collapse, you know, halfway through and you needed to decide how to split up that food so you needed better language there and, 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 and all sorts of complex uh, uh, social skills that ultimately led to, uh, to where we are now. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, um, so, I mean, we know that this has this clear mental effect, and, um, but, you know, one of the things I noticed in your TED Talk is you were talking about body language when people run. And when I watch a runner run, you know, I'm a sports medicine podiatrist, so I think about running biomechanics and what those things mean really mechanically, kind of on the surface. And so I'm always looking at running form and searching for patterns that might suggest a particular propensity for some injury pattern. But as a running therapist, I would imagine you would see something completely different in the exact same runner because you're looking for something that leads to sort of inner clues. And so how does a runner's form or, or you could call it body language, how does that play into your analysis of someone while they're running? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, well, you know, we're on a podcast, so I'm going to allow myself to talk in generalizations. Generally, uh, I think you can tell something about, and, and you must have found this in your work, but I find that some people bounce a lot when they walk mm-hmm. or run. Some people are leaning forward. These are often people who get ahead of themselves. Um, some people seem to sort of be leaning back, uh, who may be, you know, slow to, uh, slow to get going. But once, it, and, you know, and when we talk about slow to get going, that might be in relationships or in work or whatever. So what I'm doing is I, I, I watch those movements. I watch how their posture 
what their general posture is, how their posture changes uh, as we discuss things, if it does at all. But mostly I just feed it back to them and I say, I, you know, once, once we know each other well enough, obviously other, it might be a bit challenging before that. Um, and I'll say I, I, I noticed that, you, um, uh, that you're very fast to accelerate, um, you know, or anger makes you accelerate a lot. Uh, but I also know, know that you um, quickly uh, uh, stop again after that. And I wonder if that speaks of how you are in relationships or, or what it's like for you at work or something like that. And, you know, in therapy, you're always just sort of stabbing around at things. And from that stabbing around uh, comes uh, all these different sort of points until finally you have a, a more accurate picture. So the body is just one of those uh, points that you can um, you can t you can uh, gather information about. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, so now a different question for you, though. All I, you know, all I do is help injured runners. Um, yeah. But one thing I have definitely noticed over the years is there is this incredible propensity for injured runners to fall into the doldrums when they stop running. I mean, some of them really do even recognize in themselves a, a true state of clinical depression. And then they, you know, some of them seek help for it. Some of them don't. Some of them think it will just go away when they start running again and they're healed. Uh, but what do you, you know, what do you think is really responsible for the welling up of anxiety, sadness, uh, depression, any of that that plagues injured runners who have to stop moving and stop all activity? Well, you know, on the, for a start, running makes you feel great, doesn't it? Physically, mentally, you get out. Not only do you get all the vitamin D and nice suntan and fresh air and all the good biology coming off the trees. Um, so I think you've got that. And obviously, if I've got to go from that to being stuck in, in my flat because I'm injured, nobody wants to be stuck inside, or at least not for very long. It's rather depressing, isn't it? Uh, right. But I, I mean, that's doubly true if you're somebody who's used to being outside. I suppose if you're always used to being inside, maybe you wouldn't. But runners obviously are used to being outside. So I think there's that. There's that change. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I dare say there's a piece where, whereby possibly some runners, and I count myself in this, you know, runners are kind of therapy, um, mental health therapy. And... You know, if you don't have that, uh, then perhaps whatever you're therapizing with the running then comes up to the surface, you know, and you find yourself, you know, distracted and, and upset by what are maybe either historical things or, or what are very real and very present things. You know, for instance, if you've got a problem with your relationship with your partner, <laughs> but, but every time it gets too bad, instead of having a fight with them or working it out, you go off for a run, you feel better, you come back, you sit there quietly and then you go to bed and hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> and that's how you're regulating your relationship. Well, yes, great. You've stopped yourself from uh, splitting up, but it may be that you are never addressing what's really wrong between the two of you. And suddenly when you get injured, you're just like, Oh God, I've got to sit here with this person. And what am I going to say to them? I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know how to represent my own needs. And plus, I know I've been avoidant for three years, and I know they know I've been avoidant for three years. So it's a real 
I'm going to have to really face up to an awful lot in this moment. And I've been trying to put this off for years. And it's just like, no, I'll go for another run. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you, you do want to watch out, I think, with running. That if you run a lot, and I run quite a fair bit, you really can feel so healthy in your body and, and for a certain amount of time, so healthy in your mind that you really can keep an awful lot at bay. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, by the time you finally do stop one day, uh, whatever it was that was troubling, you might, might, might have gone. You never know. That's kind of what you're rolling the dice on, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah, I heard this great analogy one time, and this guy was, he said, basically, you know, it's sort of like you're driving through life, you know, in a station wagon. As you're driving along, you know, all these little things come up, and you just take them and you throw them over your shoulder into the back seat. And for years, you're just throwing things over your shoulder into the back seat. And then suddenly you get into an accident. And when you hit the brakes, everything comes flying forward. And you finally realize that there's something wrong with the driver. And all this stuff is still there to deal with, you know. And I think that that's true, maybe true with runners. It may be something to this. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I have literally seen T-shirts people were wearing that say, running is my therapy. So, yeah. you know, I don't think any, it's that we have to sell the idea of running to runners to improve their mental and physical well-being. So many of us believe that it's really what sustains us physically and mentally. And it may be part of that, that it's somewhat of, you know, sort of skipping over some of those things that we might need to address. So, so maybe you could just share some insight regarding the importance of mindfulness exercises that include just sitting, just being, you know, talk about how those things differ you know, just mindfulness exercises directly might differ from dynamic running therapy. Yeah, well, for dynamic running therapy, whether it's the kind I do with a client, which is one-on-one, -on -one, or whether it's in the app or the book, mm -hmm. where you're just following some questions and running with some set questions and making a record of the answers, um, voice recordings on the app and writing in the book, on the book. Um, there, there's a component of that. Uh, of all of, of all of those examples uh, of mindfulness, which is uh, something I call the grounding process, mm -hmm. which is, it's voluntary. Uh, it's not a critical part of uh, the DRT process. But it's a, it's a four-step process, which I encourage people to do. Three lots of, um, of sort of uh, noticing what's happening in your body, what's happening in your mind, what's happening around you. And then a... a each one is a sort of just a, an awareness mindfulness exercise of, mm. of just sort of sitting quietly and bringing your attention to those things uh, for a minute or two. I was just going to say therapists will, uh, they talk a lot about just sitting with it. And I am a believer. I'm a believer in just sitting with it, but I'm also a believer in then doing something about it mm -hmm. in general uh, with people's problems. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a believer in people sitting with their problems, whatever it is, you know, if you, if you try to fix everything, if you try to avoid everything, um, then that thing just piles up, like in your, your brilliant um, comparison in the back of that car. You can't outrun it and you can't keep on trying to uh, fix it. There's, there's, you, all of these things will just pile this stuff up more. So I tell my clients, I'm like, listen, you're better off just allow, allow yourself to experience some emotional discomfort by choice. I don't mean the stuff that you can't avoid. I mean, when it comes, sit there 
and for a minute, just see if you can bear it. See if it's as bad as you think it is before you get up and make a coffee or go for a run or whatever it is. Mm. Um, but then with the other hand, I say to them, you know, also, you know, think about what this is all about and then see if you can uh, perhaps uh, find out what things you can do in your life to change that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I know that um, for many runners, you know, like you say, I mean, in, in large part, some of the activity that we do may be avoidance, but you know, when people get injured and they're forced to really cease all activity or they've been told they have to stop all activity, uh, it can be really detrimental and sort of shocking to their system. And so, you know, I, I personally believe and part of my approach, one, you know, I think one of the most useful and helpful tools for injured runners to recover is to increase their activity, to get them moving. And part of that is because, you know, we know people who are chronically active who are athletes when they stop all activity their cortisol levels go up all their stress hormones you know you can measure the increase in stress hormones circulating in their systems and that doesn't just make them anxious and depressed it also really does inhibit the immune system and so i always try to find ways to work with them to get them moving and strengthen and fortify you know everything else in the system without further injuring that one injured healing part, whether it's a stress fracture, the Achilles tendon or whatever, that's only one thing that's injured. So they can usually do lots of stuff to get moving, get back to running faster if they'll do that. Now, overwhelmingly though, when I do that, these runners seem to kind of turn a corner and they don't just feel better, but they also start to heal faster is what it seems. And yeah. you know, what do you think is responsible for that shift? I mean, is it this thing that you just sort of mentioned that you know, you're actually taking action? Is it some sense of gaining control? Or what do you really think it is that causes this physiologic improvement that happens after they have some sort of emotional shift? Is there something to that? Yeah, no, I think so. I, I can't tell you where it comes from. Um, all I can say is that I've seen it myself. And, you know, I think people, uh, healthy body, healthy mind. And when people... You know, my whole thing with DRT is that I'm essentially using running to help people cure their emotional problems because mm -hmm. they're both the, both can be connected. And if you can't connect one, correct, correct one, correct the other, and it'll trickle down. So people who are depressed, for instance, and feel powerless and feel that they can't get anything right, well, if you show them that they can, they can get from A to B, we can increase your distance by 20 meters every week, although it's most definitely not a, you know, a training program. But by getting you from somewhere, people start to build up a confidence and they're just like, well, God, yeah, I felt depressed and stuck before, but now I feel like actually I'm getting somewhere. And all they've done is cross a field. You know? mm -hmm. But for them, it's like, you know, the Battle of Hastings. It, yeah, it right. becomes become something massive and and it's wonderful that's a great joy of my work i suppose just is watching people just helping themselves and and, and using their own wits to do it mm -hmm. yeah it's true it's, it's interesting and i've heard this so many times from different authors who will talk about even in business they'll talk about you know you don't understand it you're at work and you have sales goals or whatever and um and some guy in the office will start a new training program and he will go to the gym and he will start going consistently and he notices these changes in himself and suddenly his business, you know, his sales 
numbers go up. Everything goes up. Everything starts to improve. His personal life improves. Everything just seems to fall along with some small change. And I think it was Tony Robbins who said something to the effect of, uh, you know, that a decision is 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 made through action. And if you decide that you want to do something, but you've taken no action, you haven't truly decided you want to do it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and so maybe some of this actually does uh, affect that in some way too, you know. So true. And it's just, you know, over in England here, Prince William and Prince Harry are big into uh, breaking the stigma, which I think is fantastic. It's this whole idea of talking about mental health issues so you don't isolate with your depression, which only makes it worse. And mm -hmm. I think that's great, but I think it's only half the message. And, and it's something I'm trying to, trying to get this whole campaign changed a little bit into mm -hmm. action right. because awareness is one thing, talking is another thing, but if you don't bring action to it, I think we are essentially action-based creatures, you know, humans. We're best, and I don't care what it is. Your action might be posting stamps, uh, collecting stamps and putting them in a, an album. That's a kind of action too. Mm -hmm. It might be building a boat in your backyard or it might be running to Antarctica. But you're supposed to be doing things and accomplishing things. Yeah. And when you're not, your nervous system kicks off and you end up with an excess of anxiety because it's written into your DNA to alert you when you are, have become passive. Because guess what? Passive makes for a very sweet target. And you're mm -hmm. setting yourself up to be um, predated on by somebody in the community, you know. You're, yeah. you're appearing. You're appearing like a victim. You're appearing weak and and unspirited. And historically, uh, as you know, animals will always go after the weakest one in the group. So, <laughs> if That's you right. know you're the weakest one, if you're living a a weak life, and <clears throat> and you feel anxious. Well, that's why. So get up, get strong, get doing something. Go to the gym, uh, learn Italian, uh, build a bridge in Africa. Just do something that makes you feel like you are a doer and you're mm -hmm. capable of things. Yeah, you know, there's. I listened to this interview recently, and the the um, the guy being interviewed was a, a personal trainer, and it was fascinating to me because one of the things that he said was that when he's looking to work with some prospective client who contacts them, he said, basically, you know, he interviews them. He asks them lots of questions about what they eat, what kind of exercise they do, what their goals are and so on. And he then says that basically the one thing that decides whether or not he will work with a client is he tells them, okay, what I want you to do is tomorrow, and every day, I want you to get up and, and eat a healthy breakfast, you know, and that doesn't really matter what the healthy breakfast is, but what they perceive to be a healthy breakfast. However, and this is a trick, he said they are, he requires of them that they make a healthy afternoon snack, prepare that snack before they prepare breakfast, because he really believes that, you know, eating a healthy snack in the afternoon is crucial to maintaining your blood sugar and, and not slipping into unhealthy behaviors like, you know, eating some sweets in the office or something that is there. And, and he said that if he cannot get a client to agree to and take the action of, of preparing that healthy afternoon snack before they prepare breakfast every day, he knows they don't have the discipline or the capability of taking actions to do all the other stuff he's going to require of them later. And right. so if they won't do that, he just said, forget it. I can't help you. And, um, and it's just a small action. It's literally like, you know, washing an apple 
or something. It's not like they have to prepare some elaborate snack. It's just a healthy snack, and he doesn't even limit what that snack would be. Um, and and that's really it. He's just he's certain that having people commit to a very very small action initially will open the floodgates for an entire range of change that could happen after that. No it's doubt. very no. interesting. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, again, it's kind of back to what I do is, uh, you know, I understand depression, low mood as a kind of stuckness. It's a kind of inorganic state. Uh, the only things that don't move are dead things, really. Right. And so when, when somebody's stuck and they can't do that one action, when you, for whatever reason, have chosen not to do that one action and you keep on making that decision because it's now become habit, I think in the end you end up depressed. Right. Um, and then you start to think, oh, God, you know, and then it sort of compounds itself in all sorts of complex ways and reinforces itself. Uh, and, and, and the memory that it was this one thing that you did all these years ago, this one decision that you made to no longer do this or to believe this about yourself or others, mm -hmm. uh, that you forget or, or, or not making an afternoon meal or being the person that doesn't take advice from somebody on the phone and that they'll do it their way. It's for some people, the idea that they can take they'll take help from somebody on the phone. It's like taking help from their wives. They don't want any more of that. And now they're stuck and they can't even remember how they got stuck. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, for, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, yeah, I don't go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so for those people, my work is to either find out what it is about you that made you decide that you're not going to do this, this or this, mm -hmm. or just to get, if we can't work that out, I'm quite happy just to get you moving in other areas of your life. Just mix things up, work, walk to work a different way, join this group or club, just do something that feels risky, do something that feels different, just get them out of that, um, out of that rut. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting because I think that a lot of runners I see, they feel somewhat victimized by this injury. I mean, let's face it. If you, you know, don't adhere to your training plan or you just, you know, start to get an injury and keep running anyway uh, because you're stubborn and you get a stress fracture, it really is your fault. You're not a victim. I mean, nobody gets an overtraining injury because of what someone else did to them. Yet, right. many runners really do feel sort of depressed and victimized and they feel helpless and they feel stuck, just like you said. And a lot of times they blame the doctor who told them they have to stop running, who said, no, you have to sit still and rest. You need to chill out. You're an exercise addict. You just need to relax, all of those sort of things. It all makes them feel bad about themselves. And, you know, and maybe they really do understand the injury enough to believe that they won't heal unless they sit still and let it heal and recover you know but many of them once they sort of get past that point they have trouble getting going again they are stuck so what advice would you have for runners who have been injured and are in the process of recovering but they just feel stuck and they're really kind of unable to get moving again I mean what kind of action would you give them to get going um, download my app Get my, yeah. get my book. I mean, central to all my work, you listen to my TEDx talk, but my, my takeaway for everybody is, you know, do something small, incremental moves, you know. Don't start running again, but you can start walking. Yeah. Um, and with my app, you can walk and listen to uh, a whole program on, on anxiety or on, on 20 questions on depression. 
uh, or just mindful walking, mindful running. Mm -hmm. To get moving, getting moving, uh, doing whatever you can, whatever it is, whether it's an injury or, or, or relationship issue, just pick something small and doable. Mm-hmm. And don't and focus on the here and now and not what, you know, the enormous, what you think is an enormous trial ahead of you. Uh, just do what you can today and take a breather and just get it done and see where it leads you. Yeah, no, that's great. That's good advice for sure. So we'll definitely put the links in there to the dynamic running therapy uh, website where you can get and download the app and Twitter links and all that. So, but you know, this is really fascinating. It is interesting stuff and it does happen to lots of runners. And I think there's lots to consider, not just for runners who are injured, those of us who have been injured, but also, you know, to really give some thought to, you know, why it is some of us run so much and, you know, what it is that we're sort of avoiding as a consequence of our own running. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to run, you know, uh, I run a lot and, um, you know, I've done 15 Ironmans and I'm training for ultra marathons now. So I run a lot. Um, but you know, there's probably something to consider about, you know, why it is that I think I need to run that much. Right. I mean, there's something <laughs> that's a lot of running. Yeah. Right. It is a lot of running. So <laughs> it's, a lot. It, it's a lot. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that sort of stuff in other people, but it's not so easy to see it in ourselves. So I think, you know, no. um, doing some of the, um, the things you suggested and downloading DRT app to, you know, kind of work through some of these issues and take a look at them, uh, can be really helpful. So, you know, I'm really grateful that you were able to take the time out of your schedule to come on the podcast. I know you're a long way from San Francisco, um, but, you know, I'm glad we were able to work out the schedule so we could get you on. If any of our runners listening right now want to reach out to you personally and, and try to connect with you and, and get more on DRT and, and direction from you, how, how can they find you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Um, just before I answer that, uh, uh, and thank you, it's been great being on your show. I just want to speak quickly to that person that's running a lot, because I know mm. a lot of your listeners will be a lot of runners. That's I right. think for a lot, of, a lot of people who are running, particularly people as trail runners and whatnot, I think part of why they're running so many hours is not necessarily because they've got some big you know, trauma hidden away or anything. I think that it's as much as anything, I think it's just a, a, a recognition that it feels so damn good to be out and about and that it is that you need to put in that many hours in nature uh, to uh, rebalance or whatever the word is, to balance out um, just how mad it is sitting around in offices Mm -hmm. and on social media. It's the only thing that makes you human anymore, right? Because you can't find it in you know you can't find it anywhere else except nature so i think many of those people are some of the smartest people out there and uh, and certainly it's when i feel best it's when i'm out and about as for um the question for my social media my website is dynamicrunningtherapy.com my uh twitter is at pull and therapy uh people are welcome to try and get in touch with me there uh and instagram d underscore running therapy the app is called Dynamic Running Therapy. The TEDx is called Movement is Medicine, William Pullen. And the book is Running with Mindfulness. Well, any uh, uh, last pieces of advice for everyone out there? I mean, is there anything uh, else that we need to think about as we head off and go get the DRT app? <laughs> uh, no, I would just say um, I, anybody who's out there running right now, I'm jealous of you. I'm going <laughs> to go out tomorrow morning. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. Well, it's late in the day for you now, right? 
Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. But well, I've been running a lot in the evenings now with the ASICs Run Club here in London, mm. which is just a local ASIC store, but they've put together a little run club and Nike do it as well. But it's so nice to run with a group of runners through the park in the evening. I, yeah. I, I'm really enjoying it. Fantastic. All right, William. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on the show and it really has been interesting and in getting a chance to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christopher. Speak soon. Go download the DRT app now at dynamicrunningtherapy.com. And if you know someone who's sitting around bummed out or depressed, share this episode with them. Send it to them now. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.